Well, good morning. Good to see you. My name is Stephen Staten, and I have the privilege of serving as the campus pastor down at Apollo Beach. And I am honored to be uh, uh, preaching for Pastor Corey today, stepping in for him, and also wrapping up our series on parables. If you've been with us at any of our locations, we've been walking through several of Jesus's parables, and we've said this, to understand Jesus, you got to understand the parables because a third of everything that Jesus taught, he taught in parables. And we said that a parable is basically when Jesus would take a, a truth or a heavenly insight and he would lay it alongside, literally that's what parable means, to lay alongside, to cast alongside an earthly circumstance or an earthly event to teach this spiritual truth. Maybe you've heard it said like a, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at how Jesus took weed and weeds or four different types of soils, a good Samaritan, to teach these spiritual truths, these important spiritual truths. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at probably the most famous parable of them all, the mother of all parables. We're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son. So if you got a Bible, and I hope that you do, why don't you open it up or turn it on with me, and let's go to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 is where we're going to be today, picking up in verse 11. And let me lay some groundwork before we actually dive into the text this morning. As you're turning there, one of, one of Christian history's most famous paintings is a painting by Rembrandt. I got a, a picture of it. It's going to be up on the screen. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And what most people don't realize is that this was Rembrandt's second attempt at the prodigal son. He painted an early version early on in his life when he was 30, around 1637. And in the early version, it's fundamentally different than this one right here. In the early version, he's got the prodigal in a brothel. The colors are bright and vivid. There's a smile on his face. He's got a drink in one hand, a beautiful lady on his lap. And the focus of that one is on the son, the prodigal there in the brothel. And I find it interesting that Rembrandt actually painted his face on the prodigal. Well, this one right here, you can tell, is just a little bit different, right? And, and this one right here, the colors are darker. The mood is darker. They're muted. Uh, you can almost see the, the brokenness of the prodigal, the compassion of the father. And this one right here, whereas the first one he painted early on in his career, this one right here was, was painted uh, later in his career. In fact, it was his last painting, his last statement to the world. And so you can see how his view of this story has changed. In his early version, the focus was on the son. And this one right here, the focus is on the father and his compassion and love for the son. 
It's almost as if, uh, and this one as well too, what's interesting to me is in, in that painting right there, he didn't put his, his face on, on anybody in the picture. Almost as if to say, hey, I don't want you to find Rembrandt. I don't want you to find me in this story. I want you to see yourself in this story. Because listen, this story that we're going to talk through, going to walk through, is all of our stories. Why? Because it's all about our relationship with the Father. Our relationship with God, and He wants our focus to be on the Father. You see, that's one of the ways that, that, that we read this story wrong. A lot of people approach this story and think that the runaway son is the main character in this story. But what we're going to see as we walk through this line by line, verse by verse, that the main character is not the, 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 the son who ran away. The main character in this story is the Father. It's all about him and his love for us. The Father is mentioned no less than 12 times in the span of 20 verses. And we also got to get this straight right here before we dive in, that the word prodigal does not mean runaway. The word prodigal does not mean cut off. The word prodigal does not mean estranged. The word prodigal is actually an old English, an old-fashioned word meaning extravagant, spending lavishly. Even reckless, it refers to how the younger son spent the father's inheritance, spent his property, how he spent it extravagantly, spent it lavishly. He went through it, he blew it all. And so what we're going to see as we dive into the text this morning, the, the bigger point of this story is when we realize that, yes, absolutely, the word prodigal refers to the son as, as he was extravagant in his spending. But the word prodigal also applies to the father as he loves us with an extravagant, amazing, unconditional love. If you're a, a note taker, I always encourage people to take notes. Don't be passing notes in here, but you definitely need to take notes. The, the big idea today as we walk through this text, the, the, the big idea is going to be kind of the lens that we look through this text this morning is this. As extravagant as is the younger son's spending, and absolutely, it was reckless. Absolutely, it was lavish. Absolutely, it was extravagant. As extravagant as is the younger son spending, the big idea, the extravagance of the father's love is even more. And we're going to see this amazing, unconditional love of the father for both of his sons. And it's the same unconditional, extravagant love that our father has for you today. As the disciple John said in 1 John chapter 3, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that you and I would be called children of God. And so we're going to walk through this parable, and this parable's got three main characters. And so with those three main characters, I've got three points. Yes, I'm a good Baptist. I've got three points for you today. And so we're going to look at the, the younger son, we're going to look at the father, and we're going to look at the older brother this morning. And I got a point for each one. And what we're going to see is that both the older brother and the younger brother, the older son and the younger son, both of them had an inaccurate view of the father. They had an inaccurate view of their dad. And so if you're a note taker, I would write this one down. The younger son viewed his dad as a banker. 
the younger son viewed his father as a banker. And we're gonna unpack that as we dive in. A little bit of context here. The Pharisees have come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, why in the world are you hanging out with sinners and tax collectors? I mean, you're supposed to be a religious leader, a religious ruler of the day. Why are you spending time with the lower class, the overlooked, the, the, the fringe people? And in response to that question, Jesus fires off three stories, boom, 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 here in Luke 15. A lost uh, coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son right here, all illustrating the same point, but we're going to camp out on the lost son. In fact, both sons are lost, as we'll see here in just a few moments. Let's go. Y'all ready? Luke 15, verse 11. Everybody ready? Y'all ready? All right. I know that you're used to like PhD type sermons and everything every Sunday, but just work with me today, all right? Here we go. Luke 15, 11. And he said, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And so what did the dad do? The dad divided his property between them. Let's stop right there. We got to talk about this. When Jesus would have started this story, this parable with that statement right there, there would have been a gasp that would have went out throughout the audience. Why? Because nobody talks like this. For the son to go to the dad and say, hey, give me my share of the inheritance. Go ahead and give me my share of the property would have been the equivalent of the son saying to the dad, dad, I wish that you were dead so that I could have my money. Nobody talks like that. That would have been unbelievable, unthinkable. I mean, it would be the equivalent of us, of a husband saying, you know what, I wish that my wife was dead so that I could have the life insurance policy. Nobody talks like that. And what's significant here in that opening statement right there is not only is this a cutoff from the father. Dad, I wish that you were dead so I could have my money. Not only is he cutting himself off from the father, but he's also cutting himself off from the family. This is a, a burning of the bridges, severing of the ties from the family. And then, come on, you got to work with me this morning. Not only that, not only is it a cutoff from the dad, a cutoff from the family, this boy right here is literally cutting himself off from the community, cutting himself off from the town. This is a turnaround and leave completely kind of response right here. So much so that in that century, they would have had a ceremony to commemorate it. It was called a kazaza ceremony. Everybody say kazaza. Say it like you mean it. Say kazaza. Kazaza is a, is a, is a Hebrew word with, a, with an English ceremony. And what they would have done, the person who wanted to be cut off, they would have taken that person in question to the edge of the town. In this case, the son. To the edge of the town. And they would have pushed him out of the town. And then they would have taken a big pot and they would have smashed that pot on the ground. And they would have pointed to the sun and said, hey, you see this right here? This is our relationship with you. You have broken this relationship. You have fractured this relationship. You have severed the ties with us. And the son would have known, this is key, foul this away, that if he would have ever come back home, if he would have ever come back to the town, he would have been met with ridicule, with criticism, with shame, with guilt, with attacks from the people in the town. Because the pot was broken and there was no way to restore it. 
So the son knows this. So this was a serious deal right here that he is saying, hey, give me my inheritance. I'm done with you. And so what did the boy do? Let's keep reading right here. Verse 13. It says, now many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a long journey or a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. There's our prodigal right there in extravagant and lavish living right here in sinful living. And, and, and isn't that how sin starts? Sin starts out fun. People say, well, sin's not fun. Well, you're not doing it right then. And always, that's why we got to get up here on Sunday and talk you out of doing it. Because it starts out fun. I mean, this guy right here, he's got a bunch of money. There's parties, there's, there's excitement, there's freedom. But make no bones about it, the winds always change, right? The money runs out, the friends leave. And then comes the, the brokenness, the loneliness, and now this boy right here is flat on his back. Because that's how sin is, right? It takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you are willing to pay. So make no mistake about it, the pleasures of sin are real, but they only last for a season. Can I get an amen from somebody who's been there, done that? Absolutely. And so what does this, this boy do? Verse 14, and, and when he had spent everything, Prodigal, lavish, extravagant, reckless. When he was gone, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. I always tell people at Apollo Beach, you ought to underline and, and highlight things in your Bible. I, I would underline the, the famine right there. Because I don't think there is, it's a coincidence that a famine happened in the land. Because there are no coincidences in God's economy, Amen. He is sovereign and he is in control over everything. And so God causes or allows this famine to happen. And if there was no famine, there would have been no repentance. He uses the famine to get the attention of this younger boy. And he does the same thing in your life. He puts things in your life to wake you up, to call you back to himself, to bring you to your senses. It could be a memory, it could be a pain, it could be a broken marriage, a failed career, whatever it is. I don't know what he might use in your life, but in this boy's life right here, he uses this famine to bring him, to wake him up and to call him back to himself. So verse 15, so the famine's in the land. What happens? He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the paws that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, I'd underline this right here, but when he came to himself, or he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough food? I mean, they got plenty of bread, but here I'm perishing with hunger. Here's what I'll do. He devises a plan. I'm going to arise, I'm going to go to my father, and I will say to him, hey, father, dad, I've sinned against heaven and before you. This is a pre-planned speech right here that he's putting together. He's kind of rehearsing, he's getting it ready. Pre-planned speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, just treat me as one of your hired servants. I'd underline that right there. Hired servants or hired hands. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. 
So we don't know exactly what this son did, but we do know a couple of things. For, for one, he took all of his money, all of his inheritance, and he went to a far off country. And we know this to be a Gentile country. Why? Because they've got pigs. The, the Jewish people would not associate, they wouldn't raise pigs, they wouldn't touch pigs. And we know that from, from the Old Testament. They were ceremonially unclean. And so here's this Jewish boy, get the picture right here. He's fallen so far down that he's not only raising pigs, he's not only with the pigs, but he's longing to eat the very food that the pigs are eating. Now, we'll pump the brakes right here, don't get me wrong. I'm all about some barbecue, all right? I'm all about some bacon. Can I get an amen for bacon in here? <laughs> amen. I'm just believing in faith that we're going to have some pulled pork at the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven, all right? It's going to be awesome. A little sweet baby Ray's action on that right there. It's going to be great. But as much as I love barbecue, I don't want to be in the pig pen. And here's this boy. I mean, think how far he has fallen to be with the pigs in the pen wanting to eat the very food of the most unclean animal that the Jewish people thought that existed on the earth. That's where he is. Verse 17 says that he comes to his senses. He comes to his self. Now, I always thought right here that, okay, boom, you know, the boy's repented. He, he's coming back to the father. But as I, as I drill down this, this week and studying this text, that phrase right there does not mean that he repented. He, he just comes to his senses and he develops a plan. In, in other words, he's not sorry that he broke the heart of his dad the boy's sorry he's in trouble. The boy's hungry. He wants to go home and have some food. It's like in our house. We have, we have five children in our house. You can pray for us. Please do. We need it. We have, we have four boys, uh, ages 10, 8, 5, and 3. And then the Lord heard the cries of my wife and gave us a little girl, and she's one. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. See me after class. I'll tell you about her, okay? And so it's like when I catch my boys, my older boys doing something that they should not be doing, they're not sorry they disobeyed dad. What are they? They're sorry they got caught, right? Those little ragamuffins, right? They're sorry they got caught. And so that's where, that's where this boy is right here. He's like, okay, I don't, I don't want to go and, and restore my relationship to the father just yet. Man, I'm just hungry. I'm sorry I'm in trouble. I'm sorry there's a famine. And so he devises a plan, and you saw the plan right here. He says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to tell my dad, Dad, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And here's the key right here, verse 19. Just make me one of your hired hands, hired servants. Because he's thinking, he's thinking, you know what? If I go back to my dad, there's going to be some humiliation. There's going to be some shame. There's going to be some guilt. Maybe if I go back and I work for my dad, maybe I can earn, earn my way back into his good graces. You say, Stephen, how do we know that? Well, it's that hired hands right there. You see, in the first century, there were three types of servants. You had, you had the bond servant, which if you read your New Testament, you'll see that James and Paul refer to themselves as bond servants of Christ. The bondservant absolutely served the family, served the master, but they were considered family. They, they literally lived in the house with the family. Now, underneath the bondservant, you had what was called the slave to the lower class. 
Those servants, they served the bondservant. They served as kind of a, a gopher, a runner, an errand boy for the bondservant. They would go do things and serve them. And underneath that were the hired hands, the hired servants. This is what this boy's thing is. Hey, maybe if I just come back, my dad will make me like a, a hired hand. And what they did is they lived, don't miss this, they lived outside the house. They lived separate from the family. And they were kind of like a contractor. They would come in and they would do odd jobs, maybe a, a carpenter or a stonemason. And so what this boy's thinking, he's thinking, you know what? I've done so many bad things. Maybe, just maybe, my dad will let me be a hired hand and I can work to repay the relationship and I can do enough good things and then eventually my dad will let me back in the house and he will love me. Remember, he views his dad as a banker. I've made so many withdrawals in this relationship. Now I gotta make it up on my own. I've done so many bad things. The scales are tipped like this, right? I mean, this is me. I've done so many bad things. Now I gotta start doing some good things to even out the scales, and maybe my dad will love me and accept me and allow me to come back into the house. You see the problem with that is? Here's the problem, look at me. For some of you, that's how you view God. That you've got to earn his grace. That you've got to pay him back for all the bad things that you've done. For some of you, you can resonate with the prodigal. You've run, you've been in the far off country, you've been doing your own thing, and now you're like, how in the world could God love me? I gotta make it up. And I gotta earn my way back into the family. But listen to me, brothers and sisters, that's not how our God operates. He loves us with an extravagant, unconditional love. Which leads me to character number two. So we got, the, we got the younger son, views him as a banker. I'm just gonna be a hired hand. Let me do a couple of good things. Let, let me make it up right here. And then maybe he'll let me back in the house. But the father, the father gives the son unconditional love. Unconditional love. Verse 20, let's roll. So here he goes, the son, he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, I love this, and he felt compassion. And because he felt compassion, he ran. I would underline ran, we're gonna talk about that. And he embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, hey, dad, dad, I've sinned against heaven and before uh, for you. Where, where, where have we heard this before, right? This is, this is his pre-planned speech right here. This is his canned speech. Dad, man, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he stops right there. There, there was more to say, but he stops. Verse 22, the father starts speaking. But the father doesn't address the son. That's key right there. We'll talk about that in just a minute. The father, he addresses the servants. And he's like, whoa, oh, oh, bring, a, bring the best robe out and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put some shoes on that boy's feet. Bring the fatted calf, holler at you, boy, and kill it. Let us eat. We got to celebrate. Why? Because this son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. And they begin to party like it's 1999 up in here. Thank you, Prince. Don't you just love that? 
I mean, I mean how, how in the world? I, I read that and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's the love of my dad. It's the love of the father that he has for his lost boy right here. Bring him on, get the robe, get the ring, kill the calf. We're going to party because he is home. So many things we got to talk about. Okay, so just, just work with me right here. Think, so so, so think, of the, think of the mindset of the son as he's coming home right here. I mean, this boy has been living it up in the far off country, famine, he's broken, he's lonely. And here he's coming home, and he has no idea how the father's going to receive him. I mean, as he's, as he's walking home, he's rehearsing that speech in his mind, right? Your dad, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just, just make me, just, man, just put me out the house and I'll earn, I'll work my way back in. Just make me a hard servant. And, and don't forget, too, the, the kazaza ceremony. You, you realize, I mean, he realizes what he's coming home to. The town's going to be, uh, uh, the town's going to attack him. They're going to criticize him. They're going to ridicule him, shame, guilt. Oh, he's, so he's preparing himself for the attack from the town. And then, and then put yourself in the, in the father's shoes. I mean, th- think of the sleepless nights this dad has had wondering about his son. Some of you can relate to the father because you have sons or daughters who are far away from God or far away from you. And and so here's this this dad wondering, okay, is my my son, is he alive? Is he dead? What's he doing? What's going on? Think of the conversations that he's had in the community, embarrassment, you know, asking about his boy, you know, what's going on? I I don't know. And then he sees, he sees his boy a long way off and he runs Men in that culture wouldn't do that. was undignified. Don't, don't get the picture of a tank top and, and Nike shorts and, a, a, and Jordans. No, no, this guy's in a long robe right here. Long robe, long uh, shawl, sandals on. He's got to hike this thing up. And he's, I mean, he's running to get to his son right here. Sorry, some of y'all had to see that. You can't see that. I apologize. And then he gets to his boy and he embraces him. Now, 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 now my mind... Here's what I've always pictured this, okay? Just kind of kind of walking through some of this first century things. I've always pictured this, and, and maybe you have too, where the father is like sipping, sipping his hot tea on his front porch, and out in front of the dad is this like acres and acres of green grass and kind of some rolling hills right here. And, and, and the father's out there, and he's, and he's looking out there, and then the way out there, all of a sudden he sees his son way off. And he runs out there and he embraces him and he kisses him and he hugs him. But not so in the first century. Let me show you a picture of cities in the first century right here. You see, in in that time, people lived in houses called insulas. And these houses would have been built on top of each other, very close together. And so that's where people would have lived. Now, they would have worked in fields outside the city. They would have worked the ground outside the city, but they would have lived in cities like this. This is a replica. And so picture this. Here's the son making his way through a city like this. And the father sees him far off, and he runs to him, his undignified run where he's just going down to get to him. And he runs to him. Now listen, I love this. Don't don't miss this. He runs to him not just to embrace him, not just to hug him, not just to kiss him, but he runs to his son to protect him, to save him. 
Because he knows as soon as his boy steps foot in that city, the attacks are coming. The criticism is coming. The ridicule is coming. And it's almost like this father's like, "Uh uh-uh, I got to get to my boy. I got to protect him. I got to save him. Why? Because I'm going to have the first word when it comes to my boy. Doesn't matter what he's done. This is still my son. And I love him. And I'm pleased with him. So you can drop the attacks. You can drop the criticism. I'm going to protect him. And I'm going to embrace him. And I'm going to have the first word when it comes to him. He runs to him. And so there's the son. I mean, he's got to be flabbergasted, right? So, so what does the son do? He starts his speech, right? He says, dad, 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 okay, mm, kissing and hugging, dad, 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 I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, and he stops, right? Now, there, there was more to the speech. It, it, it was like, hey, hey, dad, just make me a heart. He doesn't get to that point, and a lot of scholars think, well, it's because the father interrupted him, told him to hush, then to stop talking. But when you read your Bible, the father doesn't talk to the son, he talks to the servants. He says, go get the robe, go get the ring, go get some shoes. It's almost as if the son, oh, don't miss this. He saw the unconditional love of the father, the extravagant love of the father, the embrace, the kiss, the hug, the running. And now the son's like, Dad, I don't, I don't want to be a hired hand. I want to be your son again. I, I, I don't want to live outside. I want to be in the house with my dad. It's the extravagant love of the father melted the heart of the son. And now he's like, dad, dad, I don't want to be separate from you. I want to be with you, my dad. His father's like, come on in. The embrace, the hug, the kiss. Aren't you glad (laughs) that's how your father treats you? That when you sin, that when you turn your back on God, he doesn't bring up your sin. He welcomes you back home with open arms. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. I got good news for you. We live in a cancel culture where we're canceling things left and right. Your sin did not cancel God's love for you. He loves you. And he welcomes you back home. Paul says, even even in our sin, Romans 5, even in our sin, when we were knee deep in our sin, God demonstrated his love for you. And that while you were a sinner, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross in your place. Praise God for his love. Praise God that he doesn't hold our sins against us. He blesses us extravagantly beyond measure. And then, we got to roll, we got to roll, y'all got to listen. And then, not only does he bring the sin up, he, he blesses him. Hey, hey, go get the best robe. Who would have the best robe in the house? The father. It's the father's robe. He's like, bring, bring my robe. Give it to him. Ring on his finger. Immediately, signet ring would have represented that he was immediately restored to sonship. He had to work his way back in. The father trusts him. Put some, man, get that boy some shoes. Put some Jordans on that bad boy. Shoes were a sign of wealth. Servants and slaves went barefoot. Sons wore shoes. Father's like, this is not a foreigner. 
Uh uh-uh. This is not a servant. This is not a slave. This is my son. In other words, the father withheld, withheld punishment and blesses him extravagantly. Brothers and sisters, it's the, greatest, it's the greatest word in our English dictionary. It's the word that separates us, Christianity, from every other religion in the world. It's the word grace. That God does not give us what we deserve. That we deserve the wrath. We deserve the punishment. We deserve hell. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And then on the flip side of that, he gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us his grace, his mercy, his love, his power, that extravagant, unconditional love of the Father. Do you see it this morning? As extravagant as the son's spending, the extravagance of the love of the Father is even more. And everybody's happy, right? The end, right? Story, hey, let's sing, let's go home. No, no, no. There's somebody who's not very happy about the younger brother being home, right? You know who that is. It's the older son. So let's, let's read about him. Let's talk about him. So, so again, I told you that the older brother and the younger brother both had inaccurate views of the father. The younger son said, you know, he's a banker. I've made so many withdrawals, i got to put some credit back in there, and then he'll accept me. The older son viewed him as a businessman. I'm going to write that down, a businessman. He was a businessman who needed to be obeyed, who needed to be pleased. In verse 25, let's talk about this older son, and we'll land the plane with him. Now his older son was in the field and he came and he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. Obviously they weren't Baptist, right? But um, y'all supposed to laugh at those lame preacher jokes right there, okay? Verse 26, I want to get invited back, okay? And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, hey, hey, your brother's come. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. In verse 28, but he was angry. What? Angry. And he refused to go in, and his father came out and entreated him. What host of the party leaves the party to go get people to come to the party? It's the father right here. Man, I want you in. I want you to experience this. He entreated him, man, come on. But he answered his father. Now, Now look at this as we read this. See if you see a theme in here, okay? Verse 29. Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed you. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. What's this older brother all about? It's all about him, right? Isn't that what religion is all about? Look what I've Done, look what I've accomplished. It's not, hey, look how awesome the Father is. It's look how awesome I am. It's all about me. He goes on to say, but when this son of yours came, I love that, doesn't even call him his brother. This son of yours is like some of you uh, uh, Florida State fans. You can't say the word Gators, can you? You're like, that other football team in Florida. He's like, this son of yours. 
When he shows up, he devoured your property with prostitutes. We don't know if that's true. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, man, man, the father says, no, son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. Verse 32, but we, we had to celebrate. It was fitting to celebrate. We had no choice. We had to do this and be glad. Why? Because this brother of yours was dead. He's alive. He was lost. And now he is found. You see, on the surface, this older brother, he looks like he's the exact opposite of the younger son. I mean, this is the good guy, right? He, I mean, he stays close to the family. He does the work. He doesn't go off. He doesn't squander the property. I mean, he's the good one. But there's a subtle detail I don't want you to miss. Where is this older brother? He's not in the house. He's out in the field. And the father comes to him and he says, man, you got to come into the house. You got to come home. And the brother's like, no, I'm not going to. He rebels against you. See, on the surface, they look different, but he actually has a lot in common with his younger brother. You see, both sons, don't miss this, both sons wanted stuff from the father. They just didn't want the father. They wanted things from the father. They just didn't want to have a relationship with the father. You see, there's two ways that you can stay separated from God. You can run off into the far country and do your own thing and turn your back on God and live how you want to live and do your own thing and not care a thing in the world about God. You can do that, and some of you can resonate with that. That's your story. Or on the other hand, you can do what the older brother did. You can stay close to the house of religion saying, look how awesome I am. Look at all the things that I'm doing. Look at all the boxes that I've checked. And base yourself on that instead of throwing yourself on the graces of God. Instead of look at how awesome God is, it's look how awesome I am. And a lot of us in here, we can resonate with the older brother. Why? Because this is a religious crowd. And some of you, you can echo with the brothers and say, hey, 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 God, I've been slaving for you. I've been working, been doing all this stuff. Therefore, because I've done all this stuff, you owe me X, Y, and Z. God does not owe you anything. And just remember that your religious acts are like filthy rags before a holy and righteous God. It was the pride of the older brother that kept him from seeing how distant he was from the Father. You see, God doesn't offer salvation to those who earn it as a reward. He offers salvation to those who are unworthy like us who receive it as a gift. Remember, Jesus has a very specific audience in mind when he's telling this story. It was the Pharisees who came to him and said, hey, Jesus, why do you hang out with all these people? Why, why, why do you hang out with the riffraff? Why do you hang out with the outsider? Why do you hang out with all these sinners and tax collectors? Why do you hang out with all these broken people? Because the Pharisees did not see themselves as broken, but they were. We are all broken people on the inside. And all of our religious deeds can't change the sickness of our hearts. Jesus said that religion makes us look like whitewashed tomb, clean and polished on the outside, but full of dead men's bones on the inside. Some of you have been trying to earn that. Look how good I am. And I would encourage you to throw your cast off that idolatrous pride and come home to the Father. You cannot clean yourself up with religion.
reminds me of when we were trying to potty train our, um, our boys. I won't tell you which one of this belongs to or the story is, is about. But, but you know, when you got five kids and, and you don't hear them for a while, at first it's awesome, right? You're like, oh, peace and quiet, silence is golden, let's be rich. But then as some time goes by, you're kind of like, where are they and what are they doing, right? And so I was kind of going through the house. I was trying to find uh, one of my boys, and I found him in the bathroom, okay? Now, this is a little graphic, this, but this is how we roll at Apollo Beach, so just bear with me, okay? He had gone number two in the bathroom and proceeded to try to clean himself up after going to the bathroom. And I, and I opened the door, and there my boy was, and there was poop all over the place. I'm talking on the toilet. I'm talking on the wall. I'm talking on his face. I'm like, how did you get it on your face? And so I open the door, and there he is in all his glory. And, and, and I do what any, like, loving father would do, right? I see that. I step back out, shut the door. Samantha! <laughs> your boy needs you. She's like, I can smell it up here, huh? That's all you. So we argue, I lose, right? So I open the door back up and I look at my boy in there. And with tears in his eyes, he says, Daddy, I tried to clean myself up. Isn't that religion? Where you try to do it yourself? Try to clean yourself, try to be good enough, check all the boxes, try to earn God's grace. You live like that and you will make a bigger mess of yourself. You see, here's the beautiful thing. We don't have to clean ourselves up to come to Jesus. Come on now. We come to Jesus and he cleans ourselves up. He power washes our soul. And I love the ending of this story right here because you notice how the story, the story there's, no, there's no resolution in this story, right? The father comes out to the, to the older son. He says, hey, hey, come into the party. And then it just stops. We, we don't know what happens right here. We don't know what the older brother does. We don't know how he responds. You're like, what comes next, Stephen? Chapter 16 comes next. We have, we have no idea what this older brother did. Because the point of this story, listen to me, the point of this story is, is not to tell a fun story right here, but the point of this story, it's an invitation. It's an invitation for prodigals for younger sons to come home to the father. You say, Stephen, Stephen, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't, but God does, and he still loves you. You don't know how far I've run. You don't know how long I've run. It doesn't matter. The father is waiting for you with open arms. Come home. Listen to me. If you're a prodigal right now and you're running, there's nothing, there's nothing that you've done in your life that would make God love you any less than he does right now. He loves you with an extravagant, unconditional, amazing love. And it's an invitation to the, to the older brothers in the room. The, the, those of you who are trying to get there through, through you're trying to climb that ladder to, to be good, to keep, check the boxes. It's an invitation for you to come home. To say, you know what? You know what? I, I don't have to be religious. My religious acts are like filthy rags before a holy and righteous. I can rest I can rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's why he said, it is finished. I don't have to add anything to what he's done on the cross. I can rest in his goodness, in his grace, in his mercy. Come home. 
Listen, religious people, there's nothing that you could do to make God love you any more than he does right now. You come home. See, the point is, man, don't stay outside the house. Come home to the Father. He's ready to receive you. He's standing there with open arms, ready to clothe you in his righteousness, to put that signet ring on your finger to say you are a son, a daughter of the Most High King, and to put shoes on your feet and to welcome you into his home. So the question is for everybody in this room, have you received the grace and mercy of Jesus? Have you come home to the Father? Not, not do you attend church? Not, well, well, I've done a lot of bad things. I got, I got to clean it up first. No, no, no. Have you prayed? Have you received? Have you surrendered it all to him and say, Jesus, I'm receiving your free gift of grace. And I'm ready to come home to the Father. If you've not, I'm going to give you that opportunity this morning. So why don't you, where you sit, why don't you bow your heads and you close your eyes. And let's take this, let's pray. If you're here this morning, the heart of your dad is not to punish you, but to save you, to bring you home. And, and maybe you're here this morning and you've never done that. You're like, Stephen, I, I wanna come home, how do I do that? Well, you've, you, you express your heart in a prayer. You, you can cry out to God. You can pray to him, say, Father, I receive your gift of grace. I surrender it all. I believe in you. I am ready to come home. I believe that you took my place on the cross. And I'm ready to receive your grace. Save me. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you would say, you know what, I, I, I'm home. I know that I'm saved, I know that I'm a Christian, so my question for you would be, would be then this, who is it in your life that you need to run after? As the Father ran after you, who do you need to run after? Who do you need to go and share this message of grace and hope and forgiveness with? You see, Jesus does one of two things, he's either calling us in or he's propelling us out to be on mission for him. And maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to, say, to share this message with. And, and, and as we are about to sing and, and respond to God, maybe during that time as we sing and as we praise, maybe you take some time and pray for that person, that prodigal, that older brother in your life that needs to receive the free gift of grace.